Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder buddy, Joe Masato. Joe, what's going on today? I've got a I've got a great view um, for today's Thunder Buddies podcast. Not only um, you know looking at your cheery face, Michael, but also staring out over my snow covered lawn. Um, I don't know. Are, are you getting snow right now? Because it's 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 building up. I mean, I I uh, I see nothing but white out there. Not so much over here. Yeah, you said that, and I looked out my oh, window. Oh no! And yeah, not too much snow over here. A lot of uh, light drizzling, but no snow just yet joe you're missing out i'm getting like steady flurries they're big flakes um maybe it's just a sign of things to come and if they if it doesn't happen well apologies no it's okay (laughs) but anyways it was uh fun the other night as the thunder go into denver and beat the nuggets 101 to 99 to break the Nuggets league leading uh, nine game winning streak and 16 straight at home. Uh, what did you see in that one? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the big thing there was no Jokic and the Thunder took advantage. I mean, it, it's still um, maybe you know a solid team even even without Jokic in there, but they're really really a good home team. Twenty two and three um, before that, and we've seen the Thunder struggle on the road a little bit. That's turned around recently, but I thought it was a good overall game. For the Thunder, the two guys that stood out to me offensively, obviously, were Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Josh Giddy. I, I thought Giddy again, was excellent in getting to the rim, especially in the first and fourth quarters. Um, Lou Dort was the story of the game for me. Struggled all night offensively, didn't have it going, 3 of 13. And then he gets the really big stop on Jamal Murray late in the game after Shea's go-ahead um, jumper. So kind of... Uh, a, a, a nice offensive ending there from Shea, and then Dord is the one getting mobbed by his teammates. It doesn't matter what he did offensively; he like proves his worth right there on the defensive end by by sticking with Murray, who was who was really good the other night. All is forgiven by the end if you can get that stop, you can get the win. That's all that needs to be remembered. But blocks on thin sliding, like every shot that he took it's like well there's no way that goes in and it goes in and then the next one it's like well there's no way he can really top that. It's almost like he's playing horse out there at times. Yeah, him and Murray really had, I had that same feeling about both of them. Like Jamal Murray, who's really rounding back into form now um, after recovering from that knee injury, and especially with the load that was on him with Jokic out, he made some incredibly tough shots, but as did Shea. And to, to Shea's credit, doing it against Aaron Gordon, who I thought was magnificent uh, against Shea and Shea still had that line that you rattled off which just speaks to his scoring prowess but Gordon is um, you know 6'8", 6'9", 230 pounds whatever he's listed at I, I mean definitely a bigger guy brawnier than than Shea but also quick enough to kind of stay with him um, and I thought that there were there were a few times where I was like man there's like nothing more Aaron Gordon can do right now and, and Shea would still you know, finish a follow-away jumper over him or, or, or something like that. And he got him to to bite on that last play. Basically, Shea back cuts to the rim. Gordon's a little late, and he almost, like, overruns it. Like, he can't stop himself in time, and Shea uses that little window um, to also use the window on the backboard and, and bank it in for that layup. But um, I thought Gordon was, was really terrific. I, I think I'm going to put him in, like, the Herb Jones category as far as guys who have given Shea problems, but as Shea continues to prove, 
it doesn't really matter. Those guys that give him problems, he's still going to score and do it efficiently. Yeah, he is going to work a little bit harder for it against those guys, but I think it's interesting just the trend of guys with more size and more length that they're throwing at Shea of recently because putting on like a smaller guy on him is just not going to work. And speaking of which, mm. Josh Giddy, as you mentioned, also played well, 18 points, three assists, nine rebounds of nine of 17 shooting. I just loved seeing his aggressiveness and just his confidence continue to snowball I mean, you see these teams put smaller guards on him, and he's just dog walking to the rim and just getting hook shot after hook shot. For as good as Jamal Murray was offensively, I thought Giddy really exposed him on the defensive end. Like, Giddy saw that mismatch. Um, not only is Giddy stronger, but he just looked a step quicker than Jamal Murray did. And, you know, when he had that matchup, he would just take him right to the rim and, and finish over him. And it was it was easy, and it was obvious early on, so... It's like the continued evolution of Josh Giddy learning how to use that strength, that frame, and finishing through people instead of over people. And he just continues to to play more confident, and it's huge for this team. I think it's huge for SGA to to not have to shoulder that same scoring load that we've seen him do in the last couple of seasons to have like um, a true scoring complement like like Josh Giddy is this year. You mentioned it um, a little bit earlier about Shea's game-winning shot. I wanted to go a little bit uh, backwards before we get to that, but Kendrick Williams hit one of the bigger shots of the game, that three towards the end, keep them in the lead or keep them in the game, which doesn't really get talked about as much because we see Shea hit the game-winner and Lou get that stop. Yeah, that was definitely a clutch shot. I mean, his numbers are absurd this season. I feel like I read them off every time we get on, but shooting 53% from the floor, um, 43% from three, he's shooting 60% from two. I mean, it's, it's just incredible efficiency. Um, still continues to, to not make free throws. Very, very, very puzzling. Um, but he proves his worth for this team over and over and over and over and over again. He's just like so reliable and, um, yeah, I mean, can't can't say enough about Kenrich Williams's value right now. It is now. such a weird thing though that be, you mentioned he's like a sixty percent mid range shooter with contests, and then he's not a very good free throw shooter. I don't know. Some guys like I was watching this guy on um, TikTok or Instagram doing free throws, and he shot it from like the right elbow of the free throw line, where a guy almost got a contest on him. And I just think about guys like that. I mean, I played with a guy who was who's a good mid-range shooter and a bad free throw shooter. I was like, just take a step back and then like take one dribble into it. And it ended up like changing things. I'm not saying that's going to work for Kenridge, but it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. Like turn it into a jump shot almost like he's shooting 43% from three and from the free throw line. I mean, that's, that's just goofy. Like what, what's what's going on there? I mean, I, I understand it must be a mental thing. Obviously you can shoot the basketball, but um, just kind of weird how how you learn like different different quirks about certain guys. Yeah, I think uh, Tracy McGrady used to do that. He did the one dribble pull up jumper at the free throw line. <laughs> yeah, you uh, it, it was always a big deal growing up. Like when you were shooting free throws, and then you got to the point where you didn't have to jump. Like you were just strong enough to stay down and and shoot free throws like a like a man shoots free throws, I guess. Um, I, I always thought that was a big step in life. That's what Kenrich is proving to the younger guys on the team. <laughs> it's like, this is how you shoot free throws. Even if you're not making them, this is what you do. 
<laughs> it's all about looks. Exactly. And then um, the play before the game winner, it looked like they were going to a play, and then Shea kind of got doubled. They throw it to Isaiah Joe, who then gets doubled and trapped, and then a really smart timeout by Mark Dagnall as they get it with five seconds left on the shot clock. And I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, this feels like a really good setup for a Josh Giddy inbounds pass. And of course it was. Shea gets it where he like cuts towards uh, the middle of the court and then back cuts on Gordon. Pump fakes, get Gordon uh, gets Gordon in the air just long enough to create enough space. And then he um, gets the game winner to go, the eventual game winner to go. Yeah, th- this is a stupid thought, but like... When when they trapped Isaiah Joe, which obviously is going to force um, a Thunder timeout, Dignall did a g- good job calling that quickly with the shot clock running down. But like it almost felt bad for the Nuggets. Like, and, and you mentioned like setting up a Josh Giddey inbounds pass. That's what I was thinking. It's like maybe you know, obviously you're not gonna like not try to trap Isaiah Joe, but it's like. Yeah, you did a great job defensively. The coaching staff's clapping. Everyone's fired up. But then you have to then then you give Josh Giddy the ball and things reset. Um, and even with five seconds on the shot clock, like you just trust him. So many of the Thunder's baskets off inbounds pass are quick anyway. I mean, they're just like set plays, um, and it's it's lethal. Like he is he has really weaponized the inbounds pass. Yeah, a lot of those inbounds plays are not long developing, like you mentioned. There are a lot of just quick hits here on a backdoor cut or just for a wide open three or something like that. So whenever I saw that in five seconds, I was like, this is almost like perfect, exactly what they would want. I mean, but it it ended up working out. Yeah, I mean, we saw that one, um, what was it, a couple games ago where... um, he it was the Sacramento game finds Isaiah Joe right late in, late in the game for that three pointer um, that was you know a little too late but that was like a perfect play Giddy like lobs it to a spot on the court basically as Isaiah Joe curls around the arc and hits him perfectly but that's another quick hitter so yeah I'm I, I'm with you I as as an opposing team I, I'm a little I'm a little scared when it comes to Giddy inbounds passes but the Thunder get the win that's the most important thing they beat the Nuggets, even though the Nuggets shot more, they made more free throws than the Thunder attempted. They only go 17 of 33. Interesting. And then the Thunder survive with some bad three-point shooting. Outside of Isaiah Joe and Kenrich Williams, who combined for 5 of 12 from 3, the rest of the team went 2 of 14, just to wrap things up. I'm glad you mentioned the free throws, because we buried the lead. That That's the difference in the game. Like The, the Nuggets as a team, um, I looked it up, are about 74% from the free throw line. If they shoot 74% from the free throw line, they, w- they win that game. Um, it's pretty easy math to come to that conclusion. They just could not make a foul shot, um, and it cost them. Yeah, it looked like Zeke Naji at the end was going to seal it with a couple of free throws finally. but I, I was pop. stunned. You could have gotten good money on Zeke Naji making both of those free throws at the end with as bad as he was from the line. And like Aaron Gordon was awful from the free throw line. And, you know, he's... He's not a great free throw shooter. I think it's like mid sixties or something, but that's like even bad for his standards. So yeah, just just a total mess from the line. For sure. And then in big news, um, came out from the New York Times, Chet Holmgren was in the news. They did a piece on him. Uh before we get into the details, I just wanted to ask you if there's anything that stood out to you from that article. Um not really. I, I mean it's always interesting to to see what Chet has to say, I mean, we don't get 
a lot of access to him or not to him, but to injured players mid season. Um, but um, the New York Times got got something, and there was nothing too revelatory. I, I, I didn't think, but just like just snippets that stood out to me, like you know, meeting with Mark Dagnall for half an hour once a week to like go over things. I, I thought that was, you know, it's like, well, yeah, of course they're going to do that, but like it, it makes sense to sort of keep him involved. Um, just like the the itch he has to get back on the court, like after he comes home from surgeries on a scooter and he goes like straight to the gym. I thought that was um, notable and just just little things like that. I think it was written more from like Chet Holmgren is such like a novelty when it comes to like general basketball fans and like the New York Times is obviously writing for a national audience and I thought it was like a good check in of people are like. Oh, yeah, what happened to this Chet Holmgren guy? Oh, he's rehabbing from this injury. Um, so if you're not following closely, I thought it was a really good update. Hopefully we'll get the Poku piece next week. Just the most interesting <laughs> players in the NBA. But yeah, it was fun to hear about Chet. I thought the stuff that was interesting, just him th- talking about, I was trying to find every great player that I could play against, whether it was Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Trey Young, all these types of guys. He was just like, well, I'm going to have to play him against against him eventually so I want to like test the waters out now and see how good I am so I thought that was interesting and then you mentioned it him and Mark uh doing their meetings and then it was very on brand Mark Dagnall to give him a book from 1946 to read to a guy who's 20 years old a lot of uh a lot of books are being passed around at the Thunder practice facility everyone everyone has book recommendations they they should have the Thunder Book Club. I'm not making fun of this. Um, I, I think it's great to promote literature, um, but it, it's just like every every story about the Thunder and and Mark the other day in uh, where were we? Brooklyn. He was uh, he was referencing something, and he was like, "Oh, this is from that book," and it was it's it sort of like a self help book, I think. But um, yeah, the Thunder the Thunder is very well read. Probably leads the NBA in well readedness. I'm sure they have a chart in the locker room, like you have in elementary school, about who has read the most books. They have like a book drive of whoever's who. Who do you think's leading the charge of reading the most books? I'll say Mike Muscala has a lot of time on his hands. I'm gonna say um, this is a good question. I'm gonna say Eugene Omarui, and there's n- there's no reason at all that I that I have but I thought I would try to pick the most random player I could I think a guy named Eugene would be pretty well read I, there's no yeah. there's no backing to that name yeah no he's definitely sitting by the fireplace cracking open a book just having a great time but back to Chet um you know uh I think that they were talking about the best way to learn is uh to learn that the fire's hot is to get burned and there's nothing that can replace this year of just learning but I think he's making the best out of a, a bad situation, developing other parts of his game and his body, even though he's not going to be playing this season. To that point, I I appreciated, I think it was in this piece, Chet's honesty of like, basically, there, there's, there's no way you can spin this to me that it's like going to be a good thing. Th- those are basically the summation of his words. And I appreciated that because I think it's natural and um, it reflects the 
positivity of humanity at large to like look for the silver lining in awful situations. But like if we were in Chet's situation and this happened, it's like, don't try to convince me this is a good thing. And like, that's basically what he's saying. Now, I think there could be benefits and, you know, everything like that. He's still learning things. He's still around the team, all of that stuff. But no one wants to be hurt. And um, you don't have to like hide behind that. No, I mean, think about it. He's 20 years old. He's been like a five-star prospect his entire life. He's been dreaming dreaming about getting to the NBA and playing in these games. He had all the excitement in Summer League. And then you see how well your teammates are playing and they're making this chase. I'm sure there's nothing more that he wants in this world to be playing right now, even if there are some positives that could come with him sitting out this season. Yeah, it's like all of this great stuff is is going on, but... Here's why it's good for you that you're you're not part of this. And I know I'm oversimplifying it, but um, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, and then the last thing I thought was interesting was he was talking about the Thunder winning games at the buzzer. We're not losing at the... Um, or we're losing games at the buzzer. We're winning games by four points. We're losing by four. It's not like we're losing every game by 30. I don't have to come in uh, and try to be Superman. I just have to figure out how to help this team be five points better. thought that was pretty interesting from Chet. Yeah, five points better. Um, if, <clears throat> if they were five points better a night, let's see the six point. That'd make them the best team in the Western Conference. Uh, that, that'd make them the best team in the NBA um, if we're just going by point differential. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's speaking to the Thunder's competitiveness. They have a plus 1.1 point differential, which is rather incredible. I mean, that puts them fifth in the West. The Thunder are the fifth best team in the West by point differential. Um, who knows how Chet is going to affect that. I think we're going to talk about that a, a, a little bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing far better than expected with him or without him. Yeah. And he's a big piece, but what's really encouraging about him is you even saw it on his Gonzaga team in college. He comes into a team that's very well put together and already very experienced. And he just kind of fits in and doesn't like, I don't know become the uh co- big conversation in the room where it's like no you guys need to build around me but he just kind of added to what that team was doing yeah i think that's a really good point um there's other talent uh, on that roster and more established players like drew Timmy. so um i i want to ask i want to l- let's talk about chet's fit next not fit chet's impact next season because I've gotten a little pushback on this, and perhaps I am being too reserved, but the way I see it is, like, he's going to come in. I'm trying to think of a good way to put this. I I think it's unfair to think that the Thunder is going to, like, take an even bigger step next season because of Chet. I think they could take a step next season because something else happens or collectively they all get better. But I think all putting it on Chet is a little much. I mean, he is going to have gone a year plus without playing competitive basketball. He's going to be a rookie. A lot of rookies aren't good. Um, Even really, really high drafted rookies. I'm not saying he's going to fit into that category, but there's just like a lot of uncertainty from rust, from health, from learning the NBA, from getting thrown in into a team that that has sort of taken a step now and like you've got to be ready to go. Um I, I'm really bullish on Chet Holmgren's future and, and think he's gonna be a good player, maybe a great player. Um, 
but like I, I really don't see that changing this team's trajectory all that much next season. I could look like an idiot, um, but I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, this is not Tim Duncan his second year where they just go to the finals and win it all. I don't I don't think it's that situation. If Chet is that good, I'd love to look like an idiot and they win it all and you can just clip this and show it to everybody. That'd be great. But um I I think I'm in the same camp with you where Chet is the obvious. You can just see how he would fit on this roster and he'd have a huge impact. But that doesn't mean it's always going to lead to wins. I mean, you mentioned he is a young player and young players have those moments where they screw up and they have different things go on. He's definitely much better than a lot of these guys. The Thunder are currently trotting out for a lot of those center minutes, but only time will tell. And like you mentioned, the rust of just sitting out with a year uh, for a year. I mean, we might have to go back eventually and look at different guys who have sat out for a full year. But even like Jamal Murray, who played last night, he's finally looking like he's back to form and it's 40 games into the season. So it could take chet a little bit but yeah i don't i'm not foreseeing a situation where the thunder let's say get to the eight seed this year and then just you add chet now you're a top four seed with home court i don't think that's going to happen but i do think he's going to overall help this team it's just a matter of if it's sooner or later yeah and i know people aren't going to like to hear this but i really think this is the way the thunder is thinking and i think it makes sense like we we all agree the thunder is Maybe not overachieving might be the right word because that's all based on what our preseason expectations were and our preseason expectations were all wrong. Um, But the the team is better at this point than we thought they were going to be. Say the Thunder finishes right around 500 um, this season. I don't think that means like the rebuild has been a failure or they're behind schedule if they finish 500 again next season. Like, I I don't think we're just going to see this incremental jump that we saw um, from the first iteration of the, of the thunder. I think it might take a, a little bit of time because they're not, they're not building to win a championship next season. I think they are trying to build to win a championship, but that's when these guys primes um, overlap and Chet hasn't even started his career as an NBA player. So I, I would just like pump the brakes a little bit, not not on like excitement. I'm excited to see Chet play. I'm excited to cover him, um, learn more about him, but just like making making a that big of a leap, I, I think it's a little much to ask. And um, I always have to preface this by saying I know all injury recoveries aren't the same. I know all injuries of the same kind, uh, recovering from those isn't the same. But I talked to Udonis Haslam in Miami, who had a Liz Frank uh, surgery in 2011. And, you know, this is more than a decade ago. Medicine is better now. Surgical techniques have changed on the same injury. Um, but he returned after six months. So he, he um, tore the Liz Frank ligament very early in the season, returned by Miami's uh, the second round of the playoffs, the year they lost to Dallas um, in, in the championship, uh, the first LeBron run. And he, he said that there's a difference between like being back when the doctors say you can be back and that, you know, you're not going to re-injure it versus like knowing as a basketball player and your talent and your skill level when you're back. And he said it took him about two years. Um which makes sense. I mean, maybe Chet's going to to feel different, but like, 
I don't know if next season it's guaranteed that he's going to feel as good as he did when he you know, was playing in that Pro-Am game in Seattle before the injury. I'm not sure he's going to be at that level of comfort um, or just skill level given the rest involved. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is fair to be excited about Chet Holmgren. It's definitely fair to be excited about where this team is. But, like, adding Chet to this team right now or even – I mean, next season doesn't doesn't mean that they're going to to make that next step instantly. Yeah, Chad is going to help this team, but he's not going to be this thing that just solves all the problems or it's like the team just takes off. And it's unfair probably to expect that of him. I think a lot of people just still have the highlights glued to their eyelids of him in um, Salt Lake City in some of those early games where he gets like six blocks in his first game, which is a summer league record, and then makes all those threes. And it just like... People are watching, it's like, oh my gosh, what did the Thunder get? This is incredible. And it's, the truth is, it's probably somewhere in the middle between him playing at that level and then not playing super, super well. But I don't know. I It's good to be, it's good to have reasons to be excited about this team, but let's not overdo it where it's all of a sudden something where Chet has, I don't know, uh, checkpoints and different things that it's almost impossible to reach, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, what if he's a second-team all-rookie next season? I think people are going to be disappointed. And it's like, maybe that's, like, admirable that he got back to that level and and, and was playing after a year off of injury. So um, I have no idea, but um, it's, a, it's a fun conversation to have and, and one we're going to continue to have. I mean, by all indications, he's on track to to be ready by the start of next season. Um, who knows about training camp I, I don't know what his actual schedule is and when he can get back to intense activity i mean we see him at at the gym he's he's not wearing um uh, obviously off the scooter off the boot no crutches like he's just out there you know going through light workouts getting shots up so um by all indications he's progressing well which is like the number one thing uh, above any like what he adds to the team or skill like you just want to make sure he's healthy and then one thing I'll I'll ask you about this last thing about Chet. I've seen some people talking about it, some in jest, some tongue in cheek, some actually seriously about Chet coming back this season because apparently you can remain a rookie for the next season if you just play in the playoffs or the play in. It doesn't count as your first season, but I don't think there's any chance that Chet plays this season. 0.0. 0. There's there's absolutely no chance. I I mean just think of the logic behind this. This guy hasn't played at all, and you're going to throw him into the most intense NBA minutes there are for his first days of the NBA in the playoffs? Like, that's ridiculous. It's just hilarious to imagine they're the eight seed. They play Denver, and Mark goes, all right, you got Jokic. I know this is your first ever NBA game, and you're playing in the playoffs. You've got the two-time, maybe three-time reigning defending MVP. Best of luck, buddy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just entirely illogical so yeah he, he's not going to play this season if the thunder finds itself in the nba finals chet holmgren is not going to play this season it's just not going to happen all right and then other conversations that are going on that i was curious about that i thought i'd ask you about is where did all this alperin shengun talk come from i was seeing it all over thunder twitter thunder reddit even the low post was talking about it with our good friend andrew shrike the other day but is this 
something the Thunder will regret? Because I'm hearing all this stuff about, you know, well, Shen Goon's the one that got away from the Thunder, or they have Trey Mann, they have Usman Jang, but they could have had Shen Goon. What is your opinion on all this discussion that's been going on? It makes sense, given that he wore a Thunder hat on draft night, and the, 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 the Thunder owned the pick that he went to before trading it to the Rockets. That's why we're all talking about it, right? But it's a little silly. Like, you can do this with any player you passed over, just not the one that was, like, taken at the at the slot um, that you were originally drafted at. I would point to everyone, maybe I'll tweet this out later, uh, although it is uh, a little old, but I think it's still entirely relevant. On October 22nd, the year 2021, I wrote a story with the headline, Why Did the Thunder Pass on Alper and Shangun in the 2021 NBA Draft? Sam Presti Has His Reasons. And I did my best to report those reasons. And, and just for some context, let's take people back to the 2021 NBA Draft. If you remember, Shangun was like, the darling of the analytics community. I think Kevin Pelton might have had him one on his board. Um, just like a, a really fun player. Like everyone likes watching this guy play, just like the vision he has uh, at that size, playing center. Obviously, we know about the defensive limitations, but just preface it with that. The Thunder goes into that draft with three first-round picks. Number six, they take Josh Giddy. Number 16 and number 18. So 16 rolls around. Shangun is still on the board. Um, the year before this, remember how Poku was everyone's favorite player and the Thunder drafted Poku? Well, a year later, Shangun was a lot of Thunder fans' favorite player. And here it was again, ready to draft Shangun. They uh, trade the pick to Houston for two future first-round picks, one via Detroit, another via Washington. And... So that that's why we're all talking about it, right? Because because they made that decision um, to trade out of that slot that Shangun went to. Now the talk is getting a little out of hand because it implies that the Thunder, if they didn't keep the 16th pick, would have for sure taken Shangun. I think who I think the Thunder liked Shangun, and maybe that was the Rockets' impetus for trading up to that pick, but I don't think it's guaranteed, but it, it really had nothing to do with Alper and Shingun. Like the trade had nothing to do with them. And I know that sounds ridiculous, um, but here's what it came down to. The Thunder, the Thunder trusts like the historical value of draft pick slots m almost as much or more than they trust like their own scouting. Like they're smart enough to realize the draft is a crapshoot. You try your best to figure it out, but no one really knows what's going to happen. And this was a perfect case in point. The Thunder looks at the historical value of the 16th overall pick and says, hey, a lot of 16th overall picks don't turn out that great. Here's a list. 2020. I'm, I'm going 2020 um, uh, backwards, and I know I'm going along here, but I think it'll help uh, everyone understand. So 2020, Isaiah Stewart, good player, not an all-star. Chuma Okeke, uh, a lot of people were high on him, but you know what's he doing now? Zaire Smith, he's out of the NBA. Justin Patton, he's out of the NBA. Gershon Yabaselli, he's out of the NBA. Terry Rozier, good player. Nurkic, good player. Um, uh, Lucas 
is it Noguera? They they called him a baby. Uh, I think they called him baby. Uh, he he's out of the NBA. Royce White he's out of the NBA. Vucevic, great player, best player on this list. Luke Babbitt, 2010, out of the NBA. So, like, there are more guys drafted at 16 in the past decade who are out of the NBA than in the NBA. And the Thunder was just looking at this like, hey, one of these two picks that we're trading for might end up being around the 16th pick. And then there's another pick. So, if if this is kind of a glorified guessing game, why not have two shots at it instead of one? And it has more to do with that than the player who was on the board, um, Michael. I'm, I'm I'm sorry for uh for for this very long response, but um I hope I I hope I answered the question of why are we talking about this right now? No, that was good. I mean, the Thunder ended up trying um, selecting Trey Mann, and they used those two picks later on in this year's draft to move up to get Usman Jang. And Shingun's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but can we at least see what Jang becomes? I mean, he's just coming back now off his second wrist injury. I think it's probably far-fetched for Trey to end up being better than Shingun because Shingun is really good. But, you know, Usman Jang, we have no idea. And then you mentioned it. It doesn't really have to do with anything with the Thunder. But I'll just say I don't think that he really would fit with this Thunder team, just defensively what they're trying to do and be super active. And, you know, if you do add Shingun, maybe that's something that stops you. Maybe you win a couple games here or there too much where you aren't in a position to get Chet the next season, which would be... A disaster if you have Shingun instead of Chet. I think that 30 out of 30 teams would take Chet over Shingun, but it should be really interesting going forward. Yeah, a couple things. I'm really glad you mentioned what those picks became because that's where the the Jang Shingun comparisons um, are, are coming from. I mean, the Thunder did arm itself with two of those picks they traded um, fr- from the Rockets to to get um, to to trade up and and get them basically by themselves uh, another first round pick in this last draft. So um, as far as the fit, what, what what you said makes sense. Like the Thunder would not trade this, all, all, all of these things, all these variables, the Thunder would not trade that um, for where they are currently, like having Chet Holmgren, how that lottery worked out, everything like that. But like if I'm just playing fantasy basketball and – or fantasy GM and I can like just bring Shingun over and declare him a Thunder player. I get I get what you're saying about the de- defensive end, but like I do think he fits offensively just of like the Thunder prioritizes offensive players who can make quick decisions, who can see the floor. And that's like the epitome of what Shingun can do. And um so like if you could just like add him, I'm not saying instead of Chet, of course I want to do that. Um, but just as far as like style of play, um, just his vision and intelligence and the Thunder has a has a pretty good habit of turning minus defenders into at least serviceable defenders, because like if you're not gonna do that, Mark's just not gonna play you. Um so I'm confident they could do that with Shingun. Credit to Shingun because he is thriving in a terrible situation. The Rockets are aimless, unorganized. You've got all these veteran players talking about how bad it is. Um, but yet Shangun is managing to succeed, whereas like the Thunder is the opposite of the Rockets environment. So I'm pretty sure Shangun could see succeed here. Um, but I, I don't think I'm gonna I don't think we're gonna be writing like a revisionist history, you know, what if they, you know, would have would have taken Shangun. I, I think with the things that unfolded it's unfair to have those discussions, but um, 
you know, just where he was picked, how well he's playing now, it's an easy thing to talk about. But like you said, like, who knows what Jang is? Like, you've got to at least uh, wait and see. And if Jang reaches his ceiling, it's a heck of a lot higher than what Shingun's ceiling is. I can, I can promise you that. Definitely. And you were right on um, some of his offensive fit. They want guys who can pass, shoot, and dribble. Dribble. He can definitely pass and dribble. His shot is still coming along. He's not a great three-point shooter yet. But, yeah, I definitely just have some reservations on the defensive end. I don't know about you, but I just feel like centers in the NBA are a lot like running backs in the NFL, where unless you have a top three to five guy, you can just kind of patchwork together some of those minutes. And you just look at the history of championship basketball over the last 10 years. 2022 Warriors started Kevon Looney. 21 Bucks had Brooke Lopez. 2020 Lakers had old man Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. 2019 had uh, Raptors had Mark Gasol at the very end of his career in his last productive season, and he played a very limited role. 2018 Warriors and 2017 Warriors had Kevon Looney and Zaza Pachulia at center. 2016 Cavs had Tristan Thompson. 2015 Warriors had Andrew Bogut. 2014, the Spurs split minutes between Boris Diaw and Thiago Splitter. And in 2013, the Heat split up minutes between Chris Bosh, who was more of a small ball five anyways, and Udonis Haslam. So he's the best player probably of that list who played center at that time. But just that to say, you're not in a position where a center usually is the uh, best player out there. And I don't think that Shen Goon is that type of player who you can really, really build your defense around. Because as I've mentioned before a bunch of times, I mean, Marcus Smart last year was the first defensive player of the year who was a guard since Gary Payton, and that's not just by accident. Most of the greatest defenses and most of the elite defenses in the NBA traditionally are anchored by a big man, and if you have a big man who's a liability on defense, it just makes things extremely hard. Uh, It's a good point, and with center, like the correlation you made with running backs is an accurate one. Like It's it's easy to just plug and play a serviceable running back. I think it's really easy when people are like, Oh, the thunder should use their draft pick to draft a backup center. It's like, really? Like, why not take another swing? And you can, you can find backup centers. You can find Nerland's Noel's and Derek favors and, you know, guys like that. No offense to them. I mean, they're, they're solid NBA players, but they're, they're just, um, their value has taken a, a, a pretty severe hit, and they're, which makes them cheaper and easier to find. But you either have to have like one of those guys or an, an elite guy, and like that's that's the risk of always taking a, a, a center. I mean, uh, honestly, the the list you just read, the Thunder is going against that because they took Chet Holmgren. Now you hope that he becomes one of those elite guys that you do build around that becomes your defensive anchor. I mean, I think it's like what the Cavs have done with Evan Mobley and and Jared Allen. I mean, they've basically got two of them, but you either like want one of those elite guys and Chad is obviously pretty positionless when it comes to, he's not like a traditional, you know, back to the basket center. Um, But you've got to have one of those elite guys or, just kind of go the other way and find someone serviceable. You don't need, um, I'll pick on Nikola Vucevic here a, a little bit because he was on the list I just read, but like he's like a one time all star, really good player, bad defender. It's like he's a, he's a good center, but like he's not going to like change your life. And Chet, you know, he's more of a center on defense, but offensively he's just 
Chet. I don't. There's no other way to explain it other than he just does whatever Chet does. He can go out on the perimeter. He can shoot threes. He can handle the ball. He can set screens. He can handle it uh, as a ball handler on screens. He can do all types of things. Just we could go all day about what Chet can do offensively. But the history of the league does say that you don't need an elite, elite, elite guy. That's not to say that you can't win with him, but it's not something where it's like mandatory like it used to be back in the days where you had Kareem or Bill Russell or um or any Will Chamberlain or Bill Walton or any of those guys back in the land of the Giants now it's a little bit more perimeter oriented which Chet is a more perimeter center than a lot of these other guys as you're seeing but i it should be interesting but i wouldn't have any uh real second thoughts about Shingun as is let's let's see what Usman can do yeah it's uh yes yeah, interesting and like Shingun I mean, he's kind of a novelty as well, just like the way he plays. Like he's kind of a one of one of one in that sense. I know people are calling him Baby Jokic and everything like that, but I think that's another reason we're talking about him. If he was just like an ordinary player who was also very good, I, I think we'd be having less discussions. But because the Thunder has assembled this like team of like weird players that you know. Um, kind of do a lot of different things. I think that's another um, reason why we're talking about this. Yeah, and Shingun's a good player. He's very unique. He has a lot of the same passing as Josh, but yeah, it's not something that would keep me up super late at night where it's like, oh, this team completely changed because they didn't draft Alperin Shingun. And the truth of the matter is, as we wrap it up on this point, is you see with all these like very big rebuilds, even like the process, there are some guys that are going to get away. The process had... Um, guys like Christian Wood and Jeremy Grant on their roster who didn't end up doing anything for them and ended up playing bigger roles on other teams. But whenever you go and cycle through this many players, there are going to be some guys who are going to produce elsewhere and not for you. Yeah, and I wouldn't even count Shingun in that group because he was never even on the team. He wasn't even drafted. Like if you, you know, trade Aaron Wiggins or Trey Mann or Poku or whatever, and he becomes one of those guys, then sure. But like, um, there, there's there's a lot of what-ifs when we're talking about a guy that wasn't even... I know he's technically drafted by the Thunder, but that pick was made for the Rockets, so never on the team. So, um, yeah, I think we can put that to bed. Yeah, I had some people tell me the same thing about Eric Bledsoe, even though he, was, he wore a Thunder hat for about five minutes and was shipped off to the Clippers about he was on Presti's draft record, but Enough on that. And then the last thing we have on the pod for today, there's a big home stretch upcoming. Uh, the Thunder will play against the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday. They will play the Cavaliers on Friday and then the Warriors on Monday. I just wanted to get your feeling on what do you think their record is over this next home stretch because they are right in the thick of it in the playoff mix, and this feels like a very important uh, streak of games. I'm going 2-1, and one, Michael. Why the heck not? I mean, the... I, I I undersell every time you ask me what do you think their record's going to be on this stretch, I consistently undersell it. Although I think I was pretty bullish uh, last time, but I'm going to go two and one. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you which two they're going to be between the Hawks, the Cavs, and the Warriors. Um, I, I think the Hawks would uh, look like the most likely one, but they're they've turned things around. Um, uh, they they've kind of changed the narrative of their season a little bit. Cleveland and Golden State. Um, haven't been great in their last 10. The Thunder actually has a better record than both of them in the last 10 games. So, But really, really good teams, obviously. Um, but hey, the Thunder has been a really good home team. They're playing well right now. 
And I think we have to sort of get out of this past mindset that, ah, tough teams are coming in. It's probably going to be 0-3, or if they win one, it's going to be a huge win. Now, if they go 0-3, fine, not a big deal. If they go 1-2, and not a big deal, whatever. But I'm going to say 2-1. and I've also got them at 2-1. and I think that the... Wow. I think the one loss is the Cavaliers, but I'll, I'll get into it here. Um, I think they beat the Hawks. The Hawks, they were a team that they beat earlier this season. Um, the Hawks are 11 and 14 on the road. The Thunder, as you mentioned, are great at home. They're 14 at nine, 14 and nine at home this season, including their last four. They've won at home. Um, they are undefeated at home in 2023. Uh, I think the Cavs come in to Oklahoma City and win, even though there are they. I checked the schedule. They'll be on their third game in four nights, the Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell is planned to play tonight against the New York Knicks, but who knows, as you know, with uh, load management and things like that, if he'll play coming off that groin injury on third game in four nights, coming off the back-to-back where they play in Houston the night before. But I don't know. The Cavaliers just seem like a problematic matchup whenever you have those guys like Evan Mobley and uh, Jared Allen, and then you have a dynamic duo of guards between uh, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. I just think it's going to be a lot for the Thunder to handle, and it's probably going to be a lot of three-point shooting is going to be needed for the Thunder to win that one. So I'll say they lose that one, and I'll say they win against the Warriors, who have not been playing great, as you mentioned recently. Yeah, and not a not a good road team. This has been well documented. So I like that. Um, now, in all likelihood, they'll um, lose to the Hawks beat the Cavs and, and lose to the Warriors. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a fun stretch. Uh, a lot of really good players um, coming through here in, in the next few days, which is always cool to see. Like when the Thunder was in Atlanta, if you if you guys remember, that was like right after the Trey Young like controversy where he didn't show up to a game even. You know, he was out, but he still should have showed up to the game and there was reports that he and Nate McMillan got into it. And like, I just remember sitting in the Hawks pregame press conference room and like all of the questions directed toward Nate McMillan were sort of about that. And, and then there was reports not too recently that maybe he was considering stepping down. So they've really righted the ship when it comes to that. We'll see how long the good vibes last in Atlanta. Um, but uh, yeah, always uh, always fun to see a Trey Young homecoming. Yeah, we'll see. And then Golden State to wrap it up on that. I was very surprised that they're six and eighteen on the road. Their six wins, Joe, are against the Rockets, Wolves, Raptors, Spurs, Wizards, and Cavs. Only one of those teams has a winning record, and they beat the Cavs last week off the backs of Ty Jerome, Thunder Legend, and Jordan Poole. As Wiggins, Steph, Clay, and Draymond didn't even play in that one. Thought that was really interesting, and if the Thunder can go two and one during this stretch, it'll be their first time being back at five hundred since the miracle Isaiah Joe game in Dallas, where they beat the odds, where they trailed by sixteen with four minutes left. Previously, teams were nine thousand nine hundred seventy-five and one. Now it's nine thousand nine hundred seventy-five and two, thanks to Isaiah Joe and one of the more memorable games of this season. Yeah, I mean, the, we, we, the Thunder could be over 500 during during the stretch if they, you know, win the first two, um, which is a, kind of a wild thought. They're 23 and 24 right now. So the the play-in talk is a very the, – the play-in talk is obviously a real thing. The playoff talk, I think, is a real thing. Um, and who the, who the heck knows what this team's going to do over these final few months? 
No, it's going to be interesting. We're in a very, very tough uh, race in the West right now. The Thunder are 23 and 24. They're tied with the Warriors and Wolves for the 9, 10, and 11 spot. They're only one and a half games back of the five seed Dallas Mavericks and one game behind the Clippers at six. On the other side of the standings, the Thunder is only one game ahead of both the Lakers and the Blazers who sit at 12 and 13. So just extremely tightly packed. It's just been incredible because the Thunder are 11 games uh, at 11 are closer to the Nuggets who have a 10 game lead on them at the number one seed than the uh, Rockets are from the Thunder at 15 who trail the Thunder by 12 games. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, who would have thought that, that the Thunder would be closer to the one seed than last place in the West? That would have just been, that would have sounded just totally and utterly insane at, at the beginning of the year. And like I said, the numbers back it up. Three of the teams in front of them um, in the standings, Golden State, Minnesota, uh, and the Clippers, the Thunder has a better uh, point differential than them. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a longer list than that. I mean, those teams have a negative point differential, and then Phoenix is at plus 0.6, um, and Dallas is at uh, plus 0.4. So the Thunder is you know, more than half a point better than both Phoenix and Dallas when it comes to um, point differential. And that that's like a the best predictor of record. So if anything, the Thunder has like underperformed its record or overperformed, whatever you want to say. They, they might be even better than their record suggests, um, which is uh, also wild. Every, every, just, just a crazy season. It's been fun, man. It's been fun. It's going to continue to be fun as the Thunder play these next three home games, and we'll see how they surge up the standings or fall down or what happens, but it should be really interesting. Uh, thanks, Joe, for coming on with me. I appreciate it. Are you getting snow yet? Let me look out my window. I see flakes, but nothing's sticking. So maybe it'll pile up by the end of the day. I will keep everyone updated on Twitter about the um, current snow situation outside of my apartment. But right now, it is not looking that way. Maybe it'll be that way at the Thunder Practice Facility later today. But currently, we're we're not getting what you're getting. Oh, I can guarantee you there's going to be snow at the Thunder Practice Facility based on my proximity to it. Um yeah, this is a good podcast. I'm going to go out and do some uh, snow angels right now. Maybe build a snowman. Looking forward to seeing that, that update on Twitter. But uh, thanks, Joe, for coming on with me. Thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddy podcast. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media at ThunderBudPod on Twitter. Rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast for a chance to be featured on an episode. Uh, make sure to leave any questions for Joe and I on the podcast just anywhere whether it's our twitter mentions the thunder podcast twitter or anything like that and we will be back on friday 